If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even though someone rise from the dead. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. The Bible has a lot to say about money. You probably think that we talk about it a bit too much in the church. Or at least you'll probably think that by the end of the summer. (laughs) So when we hear today's gospel, of course, we want to think it's all about money. Money is evil because the rich man goes to Hades and only the poor can inherit the kingdom of God like poor Lazarus at his gates. But as Jesus is wont to do, it's really a setup, a kind of redirection, like a magician. For Jesus really flips the table and tells us that our eternal salvation has nothing to do with wealth at all, being rich or poor. All money, possessions, and wealth, all of these things are gifts from God and are morally ambiguous, neither evil nor good in and of themselves. Money has the potential to be used for great good or for great evil. You no doubt have experienced the blessing of charity for a neighbor in need. You've seen perhaps how the cost of your morning coffee can provide a week of meals for a child in some third world country. Or maybe last year you were a part of the great collections that were made for those who experienced disaster by hurricanes in Texas, Louisiana, and Florida, and even Puerto Rico. Or maybe you assisted financially with my family and our medical costs. You know that every little bit counts and that it feels good to show love to your neighbor in need. The gifts that you've been given by God have the indispensable potential for good for your neighbor. But while there is potential for great good, there is also the potential for your wealth to create and feed a desire for more and more. Every one of us, no matter how poor or wealthy we are today, has experienced the great drive of greed in our heart, even from childhood. It seems like one of the first words every one of my children learned was, mine, as they screamed. You know what it's like to have all that you need and yet still want more, like a child. And this can drive your whole life to stockpile more and more wealth, and then perhaps like the rich man, to neglect the need of your neighbors. We heard about this rich man who clothed himself in purple and fine linen, that's expensive clothing. He feasted sumptuously every day. But what he did with his wealth, it colored, it shaped, and it finally destroyed him. He was so addicted to his money that he became absorbed in it. And then finally, in the end, as it is with everyone, it was taken from him. The rich man was the one most able, equipped by God, to care for poor Lazarus, who had been laid at his gate. He neglected his neighbor in need. He used the wealth that God gave him to feed his own pride, his own lifestyle, all the while without care for the worship of God, for the needs of his servants for a Sabbath day, for the needs of his neighbor, his community. Money had mastery over him. Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness, 
for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Be attentive to your heart and life. God has indeed given you of his steward, in your stewardship of his treasury. So the question, perhaps at the beginning of the text today, is have you used the gifts of God to love yourself and neglect your neighbor? That would be evil, sinful. Repent. Or have you used what God has entrusted to you to love your neighbor, to serve them with every need? That is commended. That is Christian charity. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Trust that God will preserve you and that he has given to you of his unlimited wealth to care for your neighbor in need. But again, that really isn't the point of, or the chief point anyway, of the parable or story today. Really, for this kind of sage money advice, you can go to Dave Ramsey or to the New York Times bestsellers or even to that popular wisdom like pay it forward. What all of these teachers cannot do is make you wise unto salvation in Jesus Christ. Or to say it another way, all of this talk about money that you hear, even in the church, did Jesus have to die for any of that to be true? Did Jesus have to die for any of his advice on money and charity and greed to be true? Or is it not just natural wisdom? Again, the parable as Jesus does often, is really a setup, a redirection. Think of poor Lazarus. Despite his poverty, he has in the end the promise, or in the beginning even, the promise of our Lord's great and eternal inheritance. And despite everything that the rich man had in his life and all the ways that he enjoyed this world, he was at the same time utterly poor in the one thing needful, as we sing. Jesus flips the table, really, and is telling us that eternal life has nothing to do with wealth in this life. But the story really isn't just about rich and poor any more than it's about any of the ways that we would distinguish between different demographics in our world. It's not really about immigrant or native person. It's not about old or young. It's not about virtuous or wicked, noble or savage. The story isn't about how to prove who's in and who's out. Specifically here, earthly wealth or lack thereof has nothing to do with eternal salvation. When it comes to being inheritors of eternal life, that great treasure, both the rich man and poor Lazarus come before God as beggars, both of them. Indeed, we're all beggars, as we say, without any merit or worthiness in me. Our plea from beginning to end, from birth to death, from baptism to our committal, is, Lord, have mercy. That's the confession of this truth, that we're beggars. We have nothing to give and need to receive everything. Lord, have mercy. That's why targeted demographics or ways that we split people up and distinguish between them really has nothing to do, no benefit to the church. Because everybody, young and old, man and woman, 
need God's mercy. That is, his love, his compassion, his fatherly goodness. Everyone is given to cry out in repentance, turning away from our thoughts of independence from God and returning to complete dependence upon our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the service today is not about you either. You are not the supporting actor in your own life drama, working out salvation in order to please God, to come before him. Instead, as you might notice in our liturgy, you are the object of God's love. Your name is written in Jesus' book of life. His story is a story of saving you and all people. Every week that we pray this in the liturgy, to look away from our own self-improvement plans, it's all about us, and instead to rely entirely upon Good Friday Jesus' own work of salvation for us, given to us. We're given to pray to him for everything, for body, for life, for salvation. We cry out, Lord, be merciful to us, sinners. Particularly, as we heard in the gospel today, forgive us for our greed. Forgive us for neglecting the poor in need, even at our own gates. Forgive us for hoarding our wealth instead of caring for our servants. Be merciful to us. Give us that same spirit of mercy. O Lamb of God, Lord Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. And the God-honest truth is that that's the only way to live, to live by faith, trusting in the mercy of God. Trusting, that is, in Jesus, who was crucified, who suffered and died for your forgiveness. And that's not something you're going to learn anywhere else. You can't learn that from any of this world's teachers. This faith is only known by the word of God. But of course, that's not enough for us. We always want something more than just that bare word of God. Some miracle, some proof, some special divine blessing, some prosperity or wealth. The rich man thought that sending poor Lazarus back to his brothers after this Lazarus was miraculously resurrected would convert them. A special miracle. That'll do it. But as Jesus said, even convincing someone by the resurrection won't bring them to saving faith. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, though someone rise from the dead. We preach week and week out. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. And yet, that's the first thing to be rejected. We're all too quick to jettison this word, this faith, and this liturgy. Why is that? Because we, like the rich man, believe that Jesus is not enough. In the rich man's case, it was about his life, his prosperity, his wealth, his estate, and all the things that he had accomplished in life. Now, we would never dare to admit out loud that Jesus is not enough. Of course it's about Jesus. And yet, we beg and plead our church to move on from God's mercy in Jesus and to teach us other things life lessons, new plans for self 
renovation and self-improvement. Great plans and programs, new songs, new liturgies, new sermons. They're all about us and our needs and our feelings. But not chiefly, Jesus dying for us sinners. God will not use any other means, though, as he says, Moses and the prophets, than this bare simple word in preaching, teaching, and liturgy to lead you to faith, to trust in him, to repentance and forgiveness. So it is that Jesus speaks and we listen. That's it. He speaks, we listen. His word will continue to expose your greed and selfishness, but his word will also continue to give you forgiveness of all your sins, freely, as a gift, for Christ's sake. Even when we tire of showing mercy to our neighbor, our Lord never stops being merciful to us. Even when we fail to call upon him for help, he provides the help we so desperately need. He even waits for us here with his word when we wander away from his church to follow after our own stories, our own ideas of salvation. He is patient, he is merciful and kind, always and forever. So back to the text, the rich man trusted his riches, the poor man trusted in God's mercy. You see, that's it. That's what faith is, simply trust in God's mercy. And by faith in Jesus, you already have everything that you need, the greatest treasure that the world has ever known. You know his mercy well. He daily grants you mercy by his death. You are God's child, mercifully, by baptism. You are forgiven in his mercy by Jesus' shed blood for you. And in this forgiveness alone, you are assured that he will preserve you both now and into eternity. God's mercy in Jesus is really the kind of wealth that outstrips any other kind of daily bread we might want. But the problem is, is that it's received by faith, by trust, not by sight. Only in heaven will the wealth that God has given to us already now, today, here, be truly seen. But on that final day, we, like poor Lazarus, will know the perfect fellowship of God. We will see face to face how God has fulfilled his word. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. Thus, both now, by by faith, and then, eternally, by sight, your true and only satisfaction will not be in the wealth of this world, but only in the divine mercy that overflows and has no end. Amen.